0: Please have a seat.
1: Morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. Today's reading is from John chapter 6, verse 1. I'll be reading from the NIV. John chapter 6, verse 1. Let me remind you that we'll be hearing, hearing from God our Father now. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to His disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat Walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten their bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day.
0: Well, as we uh, look at this account in John chapter 6, I want us to notice just at the outset, that really raises the interesting question for us of what it is that we really look for uh, in a leader. It begins in verse 2 with a great crowd following Jesus because of his growing reputation as a teacher, as a healer. But it ends on a rather somber note at the end of the chapter, verse 66, with many stopping following Jesus, no longer following him because of the offense of his teaching. What do we look for in a leader? What do we want our leaders to do for us? Uh, I suppose in South Africa right now, there are many things that we look to our leaders to do for us. We'd love it if they would fix the energy crisis, um, if they would provide a solution for the taxi strikes and unrest, although that seems to have come under control. Um, I'm glad Lauren thanked the Lord for that earlier. We want our leaders to improve our education and employment. Uh, Ultimately, we want our leaders to provide a better life for all, uh, don't we? That's what we want. Uh, What do we look for? I simply have three simple points uh, this morning. Uh, John is sketching for us Jesus' leadership. What kind of leader uh, is Jesus? Uh, I think John wants us to see, firstly, that Jesus is a leader who provides physically. Uh, Secondly, even more than that, Jesus is a leader who provides spiritually. Um, But finally, that that, what that provision actually needs to be accepted. Uh, Jesus offers an invitation to find true life in Him. Let's think about those. Firstly, Jesus provides Physically. Uh, Let's just set the context for a moment um, for John 6. Uh, It's Passover time. In other words, it's around March, April time. Uh, It's the Galilean springtime. And perhaps to escape the attention of the increasingly hostile uh, authorities, Jesus withdraws with his disciples to a remote location uh, on the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've got a little picture. Maybe we can show it. Yeah. That's just a uh, picture of Galilee. Lots of people think that the feeding probably happened there on the far Eastern shore of Galilee, quite a remote area. The more populated side was, uh, was the western side. The Sea of Galilee is about 20 kilometers long, uh, about 10 kilometers wide. I think I also have a picture. This is just sort of Galilee as it looks today in the springtime, uh, lots of green grass. Um, John mentions here um, the grass um, that the people sit on. So Jesus withdraws to this remote place. But, you know, such is Jesus' growing popularity, as a teacher and a healer, that even here in this remote place, uh, huge crowds are are coming to him. And notice here Jesus' awareness of their needs. Uh, As he lifts up his eyes and he sees this great crowd coming towards him, uh, what is the first thing he thinks about? Well, he he asks Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Uh, He thinks about um, their need. But, you know, it's interesting, uh, John tells us, that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Uh, Verse 6, he was only asking this to actually test uh, his disciples. In other words, Jesus wants to teach his disciples something through this episode. You know, just as God has tested Israel at the time of the Exodus all those centuries back, uh, would they trust God to provide for their needs every day in the wilderness? Here, Philip is being tested. Uh, Will he trust Jesus? And quite naturally, I think, I'm sure as I would as well, Philip's mind immediately jumps to the very real economic and social constraints in the situation. What does he say, verse 7? 200 denarii, a half a year's wages, would not even buy, buy enough for everyone to even have a bite. So tens of thousands of rands in today's term wouldn't buy enough. <laughs> At this point, Andrew steps in one of the other disciples, and he having surveyed the resources, He sort of draws attention to the very meager resources that they do have. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? That's just a drop in the ocean. But without much further ado, Jesus has them sit down. He gives thanks. And like one of the great prophets from Israel's past, he just begins to multiply these resources and multiply them. So in the end, 5,000 plus are fed. John actually tells us it was 5,000 men, probably a crowd much closer to 10,000 people. And they all eat, they're full, and they're satisfied. But then after they've all had their full, Jesus tells his disciples to do something interesting. He tells them, verse 12, to gather up the leftovers, and gather the pieces, let nothing be wasted. Now, What is the significance of this? Is it perhaps simply to prove the abundance of the provision, as 12 basketfuls that they gather up, sufficient for the whole people of God? Well, I think it is certainly that. Is it perhaps that even though the fact that God has provided so abundantly, we still mustn't be wasteful? And I think perhaps it's that as well. I think in the Western world today, we're incredibly wasteful. We just throw food away. There's no excuse for being wasteful, but... Is it perhaps also, as one commentator says, just a gentle rebuke to the disciples uh, whose mindset was so limited, who could see no solution to the problem in front of them, that each one of them in the end had a whole basket full of leftovers as tangible, visible proof of God's provision? You know, I think there's a perennial message here for Jesus' followers. Do you know that he cares for you, uh, that he cares for you physically? And you know that especially as you serve him on mission, as his disciples do here, that he's actually able to multiply that little that you have for the sake of his kingdom, that he's able to do more. than actually you can maybe imagine with the resources that you, you put towards his kingdom. But you know, we have to see more than that here, simply that Jesus provides physically for them. You know, the people certainly understood here Jesus' ability to provide you know, we, we can't account for this miracle in the way that many older liberal commentators uh, wanted to account for it, as an act of spontaneous generosity. And this little boy saying, you know, here's my lunch with five barley loaves, and that's prompting someone else to say, well, actually, you know, I've also got some lunch here. And then, and then everybody began to share their lunch, and everybody was fed. No, it can't be that, because you, you notice the people actually conclude that surely, verse 14, this is the prophet. Who is to come into the world? This is a great prophet like, like Moses, uh, the one that Moses had promised. And they want to make him king by force because of this. They know that a, a great miracle has taken place here. But did you notice also that Jesus refuses it? Uh, he withdraws um, to a mountain by himself. He sends the crowds away. Why does he do that? Well, I think it's ultimately because he knows that there's something deeply deficient um, in these people's understanding of, of him and, and of, of what kingship in God's kingdom really is. Uh, you know, many political leaders today see their role primarily as providing economically for the people. And I was listening to, to the news the other morning and I heard this clip on Sky News of, of one of the ministers of parliament actually uh, giving feedback on their plan. How are they going to um, deal with rising inflation, rising costs of living, um, and this MP was sort of giving feedback on the success of their plan. And he said this, he said, you know, we have a plan. We're sticking to the plan. And the plan is working. You know, inflation's coming down. The whole parliament, the House of Parliament sort of broke out in cheers, you know, with good British. Here, here, jolly good. And everybody was clapping. And I realized, you know, this is, <laughs> this is what we look for. This is how the leaders primarily understand themselves. We need to keep the economy going. We need to keep the money flowing. You know, in, in the ancient world, there was a gibe that the Roman emperors used to keep people happy simply with bread and circuses, panem et circenses. That was their solution to the world's problems: just give the people more bread, give them more entertainment. You know, Jesus knows that there is a bigger problem in the world, and Jesus came secondly not to provide only physically, but to provide spiritually for the world. Uh, this news about Je- what Jesus has done. Uh, The previous day with the feeding of the 5,000 sort of goes viral across uh, Galilee. Everyone is posting about it on Twitter and Instagram, maybe sending little pictures of themselves having selfies with uh, eating the the bread and the loaves. So much so that huge crowds come to Jesus again. Uh, They come searching for him. They find him back in Capernaum, maybe with great expectations. Uh, What great sign are we going to see today? And Jesus gives them a very sobering challenge there uh, in verse 26. Uh, what does he say to them? Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw si- the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoiled, but for food that endures to eternal life. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I haven't come just to to, to look after your hunger. Look at my signs. You haven't even begun to understand what my signs are actually pointing towards. Uh, look at my signs. What should the the people, the crowds, have understood? Well, you know they should have understood that everything around what Jesus was doing, um, around this feeding, the fact that it's passed over time, the sitting uh, on a mountain, um, the miraculous provision of bread. Everything is pointing to the fact that God is doing something radical and new uh, through Jesus. God is doing something on a par with with the second exodus, the new exodus that God had promised uh, through his prophets long ago. You know, even Jesus' miraculous crossing here of the sea uh, points uh, in that direction. Did you notice the people's surprise here when they find Jesus back in Capernaum? Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 25. You were on the other side. Uh, Now you're here. Uh, Of course, the disciples had an even deeper uh, insight into this. Uh, because the previous evening, John tells us, they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and one of the terrible storms that from time to time comes up on the Sea of Galilee um, had caught, caught, they were caught up in that. But you know, then they saw a, a sight that has, has frightened them and terrified them even more. You know, unlike Moses who at the time of the Exodus had led the people through the waters, uh, here Jesus comes to them walking over the waters He's in complete control of the chaotic waters, the force of chaos and darkness in the ancient world. And then Jesus utters these words in verse 20. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, In the original language, just two words. I am. Uh, Ego eimi. Don't be afraid. Uh, The self-designation of God. God's covenant name that he'd revealed to Moses at the Exodus. I am who I am. You know, and as Jesus speaks to the crowds here, they begin to make some of these connections. They begin to see some of the connection uh, with the Exodus. And they say there to to Jesus in verse 30, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they saying here? Are they maybe saying... Oh, you know, under Moses, God God fed us every day. You know, we had this bread from heaven. Uh, Give us another sign. Uh, Feed us again. But you know, Jesus is saying here that that bread that that God provided through Moses was always just a pointer to something greater. The true bread that comes down from heaven uh, is the one who gives life to the world. And you know, if, if you knew your Old Testament, you would know that. That the bread itself was always a sign. Just listen to these words. This is what Moses himself said in Deuteronomy. and Near the end of Moses' life, he's looking back on those wilderness years, and this is what he says in Deuteronomy 8. Remember how how the Lord your God led you all the way in the, the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? Well, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Moses uh, already taught you, uh, to teach you. Man does not live on bread alone. Of course, we need bread. We, like the Israelites needed bread, we need bread to, to nourish our bodies. And it's imp- incredibly painful when we don't have access to those basic necessities. I don't think it's the experience of us. many of us here, but for some of us that may well be. We don't know where the next meal is going to come from. But, you know, we need so much more than bread. We weren't created just to survive physically. We were created for relationship, ultimately a relationship with God himself, the God who made made us, a relationship that comes through his word. Man lives through every word from the Lord's mouth. You know, some of us this morning here will know that experience that it's actually possible to be surrounded with plenty materially, and to have a house full of bread, but to have broken relationships, angry words, belittling words, dismissive words or no words, you know, a parent who's absent, who's not there, who's withdrawn. And it's tragic. We don't just need bread. We don't just need more toys. We were made for relationship, relationship with others, but ultimately with God himself. And that is where we find our, our true meaning. And you know what Jesus is saying here about himself? You know, he's saying that that bread from heaven was always pointing to me. I've come down from heaven to, to bring you back into relationship with God, to nourish not only your body, but to nourish your soul I am the bread of life, Jesus says, verse 35. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus has come to provide spiritually what we most need, a relationship, a renewed, a restored relationship with God himself. And But finally this morning, I want us to see that Jesus actually invites us to find this true meaning in him. It's not automatic, uh, the provision is there, as it were. The bread is on the table. But Jesus says repeatedly in this account that that bread still needs to be received. It still needs to be taken. Uh, and there are a few things here I just want to, in closing, notice about this invitation of Jesus. Uh, firstly, notice that this invitation of Jesus is God's own invitation. You know, some 600 years earlier, this is what God had said uh, through the prophet Isaiah. And God said, Come, all you who are thirsty, Isaiah 55. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Do you hear there the echoes of Jesus' invitation? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. It's God's own invitation. But secondly, notice there's also a free invitation. Come by those who have no money, the prophet had said. You know, a little earlier in this discussion, Jesus says there in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. And then the people pick up maybe on this word of Jesus, work. And they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? But you notice how in verse 29, Jesus remarkably, he takes that plural works around and he turns it into a singular. He says, actually, no, there's, only, there's, there's not many works. There's actually only one work. Uh, what is it? The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sense. What must we do? Only one thing. Believe in me. Just come to me. That's all you need to do. Uh, It's a free invitation. So it's God's invitation. It's a free invitation. But lastly also, notice here the mystery of the invitation. Although it is free, Jesus says, tragically, many are not going to receive this invitation. But as I told you, verse 26, you have seen me. And still, you do not believe. And please come back next week. We're going to look a little bit more at this. Um, As this discourse continues here, we'll see how people are increasingly scandalized by Jesus' claims. How can he say that he's come down from heaven? Isn't he, isn't this Joseph's son, whose father and mother we know? They're scandalized by, by his very obvious humanity. But, you know, ultimately they're scandalized by Jesus' words here about the way that he's going to bring eternal life. Because Jesus goes on to speak about that. How am I going to heal these broken relationships in the world? That's ultimately through giving my life for the world. Um, The true bread from heaven is my flesh, which I'm going to give for the life of the world, Jesus says. And in the end, um, because of this, people are scandalized, in the end, as I mentioned earlier, many no longer follow him. But does that trouble Jesus? No, it doesn't. No, there's a mystery here. You now, Jesus is confident. Verse thirty-seven: All those the Father gives me will come to me. All those the Father gives me will come to me. There's a there's a mystery here. A God the Father Himself is mysteriously at work in the world, drawing people to Jesus, making people ultimately unsatisfied. For working for that food that spoils, making people hunger for for more in their lives. And in closing, I just want us to reflect how are we responding to this call of Jesus? Do not work for food that spoils, work for food that endures to, to eternal life. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think we need to ask ourselves this morning what am I really working for in life? What are my deepest hopes and my deepest dreams? Will I be satisfied with my life when I look back and say, you know, I really made a lot of money in my life, or, you know, I made it to the top of my career, or many people admired me, or I had great experiences in my life, or or even I was loved by my family. Will I be satisfied with that? Not that necessarily that those are bad things, but... In so far as those are all focused on myself, will I be happy that I live for myself? You know, I think all of us in our most lucid moments know that we hunger for far more than that. We hunger for an imperishable good, a good that can never be taken away from us. And all of those good things that we experience in the world, our, our family, and all God's good gifts that he gives us, friends and, and, and careers, all of those things are only pointers or signs like the manna that point us actually to the source of all goodness, uh, to God himself. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, captured this very well. He has a lovely chapter in Mere Christianity, a chapter on hope, where he said, you know, even that desire for a deeper significance in our lives is actually a pointer to the fact that this reality really exists out there. Uh, this is what C.S. Lewis said, he said, you know, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim while well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire while well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, uh, to suggest the real thing. Uh, Jesus is saying, I am the real thing. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I will satisfy those deepest longings. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Uh, I am the imperishable good, Jesus is saying, the good that can never be taken away from you. For my Father's will, Jesus says, verse 40, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. That is the offer that Jesus is offering us today and every day. Resurrection life. That's what Jesus alone can do. And that's why He ultimately came to die and to rise again. You know, St. Augustine, one of the great uh, leaders of the church, uh, famously long ago in in, in his great work, The City of God, said that ultimately we have only two choices in life. We have to choose what we're going to love. And those two choices, and those two choices of what we love, create two very different societies in the world, uh, either the city of God or the city of man. Uh, This is how he put it. He said, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glorifies in itself. The latter, in the Lord. Now, in a world where we're just surrounded and almost always encouraged to live for food that spoils. You know, for that which can be taken away from us. Just earn a bigger salary, bigger paycheck, get more for myself. Will we be a community here at Christ Church who keeps coming to Jesus, who keeps trusting again what he's done for us to give us life, and keeps learning from him and sharing him? Um, A community that works for that food that endures, that participates in this great kingdom work, that, that draws more people to God and creates a completely different kind of society that's built not on the love of man, but for the love of God, the eternal kingdom that Jesus is building. Would we be, would that be true of us this morning? We're going to share in a moment in the meal that Jesus gave us, where we tangibly remember his body given for us and his, his blood shed for us. But before we do that, um, would you please pray with me and ask that the Lord would, would continue to, to work in our hearts. Our Father, we do want to confess before you this morning how easily we begin to simply work for, for food that spoils. Father, how that which is immediately visible and tangible in front of us uh, often becomes our sole focus. Lord, how those good gifts of yours often in our own hearts replace you, uh, the giver, Father, would we be people who recognize that you created us to know you, that you created us for relationship, Father, that you created us ultimately for relationship with yourself. And Father, we want to thank you so much again this morning for your son. We want to thank you that he came into this world to make you known. Uh, He came into this world knowing what it would ultimately cost him to give life to the world Father we want to participate again in that life we want to feed on your son in our hearts through faith would you nourish us Father would you freshly envision us again for what you want us to do for your kingdom um, what you want us to do with the gifts you've given us the people that you've made us how out of love for you you want us to serve you and your world Father, help us to see ways in which we can do that. Open our eyes uh, to the needs around us. Father, would we be people who give to the world, people who are generous because we've received the great gift of your Son. And we ask this in his name. Amen.